Each night this week, last week, we've been taking up different words in the New Testament that are opposites and yet have been drawn together, have been brought together in the great gospel message tonight. Our two words are going to be the words free and costly. Free and costly. Opposites, surely, in the economic spectrum, and you'd expect them to be opposites in the marketplace and You'd almost perceive that they would be opposites too when it comes to the Bible and God's salvation. But we're going to see tonight, they are just the opposite sides of the same coin, free and costly. We're going to read a verse tonight found in Romans 6, verse 23. This was one of the first verses that many of us as children ever memorized. Uh, Romans 6 and verse 23. These are the words of the Apostle Paul to the church that was in Rome. Romans 6. Verse 23 says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When we look at these two terms, and my, my, uh, my responsibility tonight is to look at the word free It's actually a verse found in the Old Testament that really sums up what we want to get across to you tonight. It's found in the book of Isaiah, almost towards the end of that 66-chapter book. In chapter 55 and verse 1, it says this about salvation, that it is without money and without price. And people have said, that's just a repetition. No, no, no. God never repeats himself. God always goes straight for the the shortest phrase possible. Without money, you can't offer a dime. Without price, you could never put a number on what God gave. And so we're going to address that tonight in those terms, free and costly. I've been thinking, uh, knowing some of the messages that have to come in the future, I've been thinking each day as I drive down my hill, um, and it's a short commute for me to work, as I get down to the bottom of my street each day, Uh, We all have these neighbors. I'm sure you might have them as well in your neighborhood. They put things out in their yard that you can take. And my neighbor at the bottom of my street has something in his yard and this cardboard sign over it. It says free. I'd love to go replace that sign and actually put what it really is, which is garbage. You'd say no one wants that. It's a chair that lacks a back. It was a spare tire of whom I don't know who could use or what car it belongs to. It was junk. But tonight, what we're going to speak about, it is free, yet it is the most valuable possession that time can offer and that eternity will attest to. It is knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior, free. We say the best things in life are free. That's true. Uh, Love. What about we speak of love? We speak of laughter. We speak of sleep, taking a nap, free. We talk about these things, and, and it is true, the best things in friendship and, and connections with people, some of the most best memories that we have, we say, they didn't cost us a dime. And yet you've heard that, and you've also heard, there is nothing in life that is free. And I would say both of them are absolutely true. Both of them are so true. For everything that is offered that is free, I was on my phone before the meeting, and I got an email from some from some uh, stock trading thing, and it said free trades, free trades. You can make free stock trades. I think that's that's great. 
Unfortunately, all the losses are yours. But free trades, and we say there's nothing in life that is free. To forgive costs something. To offer anything must cost at the end of the day. And so hopefully in our message, we can show you these two things. We've read those great words tonight. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the comparison between wages, which we're all familiar with. Every Friday, we get our wages. And the gift, you'd say some of us, if we're fortunate, on the 25th of December, and whenever our birthday falls, for me, it's coming up, the August 20th, we get gifts. And we're familiar with the two aspects. And here the Bible brings them together and says, don't mistake one for the other. Don't confuse God's plan for eternity. Don't place wages where gifts should be, or vice versa. And so we're going to talk about that this evening, just in the first couple of moments of this meeting. When I think of what is free in life, when I think of salvation, I would stand and I would declare it for the ages. I'm not a salesman. I'm the farthest thing from it. I find it incredibly difficult to sell anything because I always feel as though the product I'm going to offer, the person could find fault with it. Even when I'm working, I, I always want to drop the price in case they're dissatisfied with what they get so that they can't come back to me and say, I paid so much and I got so little. I, 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 it frustrates me when something has to have a high price tag because disappointment is imminent. But yet, I am not a salesman, but I am a deliverer of good news tonight. And good news is this, that Christ died for the ungodly. And if you want sins forgiven, you want peace with God. If you want your passport stamped today for heaven, it's free. But it costs God everything. It's free. But it costs God everything. You might turn and say to me, how and why is it free? In a world that is based on economics, why is the greatest possession that this world has to offer free? And why can you not leave life without it? I want to look at why it's free in three different ways. It's free because of grace. It's free because of guilt. And it's free because it's a gift. It's free because it's grace. You know, grace is getting what I do not deserve. Grace, that's the simple definition. When John Newton penned those words, which we saw printed there uh, in the opening video, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Grace is when I get what I do not deserve. I can take you to moments in my life, and they are plentiful of times when I got what I didn't deserve. My my ninth grade computer science teacher who gave me a C plus instead of a D. I got what I didn't deserve. My mother who took me to the mall on a Friday night after I was anything but even fair as a child or decent. When I was anything, when I was all but rebellious. And you'd say, I got what I didn't deserve. Every single Christmas when a gift found its place on my lap, I got what I didn't deserve. I can think of very little in life. And maybe you might think I'm a rarity, but you reflect on your own life. I can think of very, very, very few things in which I could say, I deserve that. You get your paycheck on a Friday. How many people can attest to the fact and say, I deserved every penny of it? Wonderful if we can. It's, it's, it's something to, to take pride in, deserving. But when it comes to God's salvation, it is not about earning and achieving. It is about believing and receiving. Because this grace that God extends, it is towards you and I, and he wants to give us something we don't deserve. 
It is people who take it, they deserve something from God. They have either mistaken themselves or they have mistaken who God is. Because I don't need to reflect on my own heart for longer than one hour, let alone one 24-hour period, to realize that what I am deserving of is just what this verse says, wages. The wages of sin is death. The wages, the wages I could be deserving in my life is just the paycheck that I get on a Friday. And all of us one day, the Bible says, will get paid. Because Hebrews 9 and 27 says, it's appointed unto men once to die. And when I die, I am getting what I deserve because the wages of sin is death. It's a paycheck that will come. It'll come on time. It'll come in full. There'll be no Medicare, Social Security, or taxes withdrawn from that. You'll get every dime you deserve. The wages of sin is death. But how about getting something you don't deserve? How about getting something from God you don't deserve? You'd say it's free. Paul says in Romans 3, we have been justified, justified freely because of the grace, because of Christ. We've been justified freely without a charge because of what God gives to those who are undeserving. How beautiful is that? Not only is it because of grace that it's free, it's because of guilt. It's because of the guilt that is within. We've said the wages of sin is death because what's at stake here is not innocence. If you could buy innocence, how much would you pay? You might come back to me and say, Dave, I would pay and I would pay an extreme amount of money to regain innocence. We always look at children and we say, the enjoyment and the wonderful aspects of childhood because of innocence. Innocence in this life is not attainable, but let me inform you from the Bible, innocence will never get you to heaven. You could be innocent and you'll never be there in heaven. The Bible offers righteousness. It offers God's good. There are millions upon millions of human beings who are looking to rid themselves of their sins by confessing them looking to atone for their own wrongs. And if they could just get back to zero, then God would accept them. The Bible says nothing of the sorts. It says you need God's righteousness to get into heaven. And so it has to be free because my guilt is not only bringing me down to destruction, but I need something more than just the removal of my guilt. I need his righteousness. I need God's good given to me. I need my bank account to be removed from debt and to be given the surplus that is found in God's righteousness. And so it must be free because of that. It must be. Not only do I not deserve it, but I'm guilty. I have to receive it because of God's grace. And I must take God's righteousness. How? Because Christ, the righteous one, he died in my place. He gave his life. He deserved his wages. When that day arrived, that Friday afternoon, when they marched him to Calvary, carrying his own cross, when they hung him there, they said a lot of things. But one thing that could never, ever be said to this man was that he had earned any wages. The wages, he had never sinned. He was a man who never got the paycheck every single other human being will get one day. He never deserved it. He only deserved the gift. But instead, he paid the debt for the workforce of humanity. We've been laboring in sin for thousands of years, and he paid. He paid for every single one of us. 
It's offered freely. It's offered because of his grace. It's offered to me because I'm guilty. He was not. He was the just one for the unjust one. And finally, it's offered because it is a gift. If you had to earn this, so many who are listening tonight would say in one form or another that they they subscribe, they subscribe to what this Bible says. They they believe on they believe something about Jesus Christ, but yet they would maybe you would maybe you would divide from what I'm saying. Maybe you would would say, no, I wouldn't go as far as you are saying because I think a human being has to do something to be saved. Of all the ways in which we have uh, all the ways in which we have insulted the God of heaven, it is by what we have been willing to give to him in exchange for his salvation. If you had to total it up, what would it come down to? If you had to put what you're offering tonight, what you're willing to give, what would it amount to? You say, Dave, there's people in the Bible who gave things. There's people in the Bible who, who gave things for God's approval. Wasn't there a woman at the Lord Jesus at the end of his life there and he and he noticed how much that she put into a church coffer. It's a good story. She doesn't earn salvation, but I'll use it. That woman, she put in something equivalent to half a penny in our own currency. But you know what the Bible tells me? She gave everything she had. I look at my audience. I can't see you. I can only see a number in front of me. How many people tonight would give everything they had for salvation? And then do it. See, there was a man who gave everything he had for salvation. Jesus Christ. I don't have to earn this. It's a gift. I, I often feel a Christmas time sometimes. If you get a gift and you didn't get something for the other person, you feel like it's an insult. But the greatest insult is this, is to pay someone for something they wanted to give to you freely. God offers it tonight. It's boasting and excluded. And pride is brought very low. Pride is abased because only sinners are saved by grace. You could have something that is free tonight, and yet it costs God everything. They say in life, every man has a price. Every man can be bought at the end of the day. Something to notice that here was the only man who couldn't be bought, and instead he purchased other men and women. In fact, when the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross said, it is finished, that translated into our own vernacular is just this, paid in full. He offers the gift, and not only does he do that, he includes the receipt. And he says, take it. It's free. You can have it. But if you're going to take it, I trust you would never want God's salvation if you didn't know how much it cost him. As you continue to listen to Matt speak, if it doesn't appeal to you tonight that salvation is free, Maybe will what appeal to you tonight is how much it costs the God of heaven to offer it to everyone and anyone, everywhere and anywhere, free of charge, because heaven's vault was emptied. Heaven's safe was emptied when God's son died on a cruel, rugged cross. And tonight, without any hesitation, I can say the wages of sin is death. You could put that on my tombstone but include the second half of the verse. I'll be six feet under one day because of the first part, but I'll be in the streets that are paved with gold. I'll be in eternity with Christ because of the second part. The gift of God is eternal life 
through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Continue to listen to Matt as he tells us about this costly purchase. Thanks, Dave. We're going to read a couple of verses. The first one is in Galatians in chapter 3 and verse 13. I'm going to take up the word costly tonight. Thanks for being with us this evening. Uh, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. The other reading is in the book of Romans, and Dave alluded to this in his message today. Romans in chapter 5 and verse 8, but God commendeth or God demonstrated his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And that's all we're going to read. The beautiful story of the gospel that we've been speaking about on these evenings is that though we were without strength to save ourselves, Christ died for the ungodly. The apostle Paul continues in verse six and seven. It says, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And as he continues, he says, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. The gospel is all about the cost and the love displayed through Christ on a cross. That's why Paul says, but God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. I love what the hymn writer penned as he reflected on his own salvation. He said, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? So in a world that's selfishly driven to only love when love, this reciprocal love, I've never met a relationship that is predicated upon hatred for each other. I never met a spouse who said, I, I love my husband because he hates me so much. There's nothing like that. There's reciprocal love in the world. We, we, we love someone because they have loved us first. The gospel message today is different. It's about God-loving people who are undeserving, God-loving people who pushed him off, God-loving people who would take his son and place him on a cross. So with God's help today, the message that I have today is for the unbeliever and believer alike, for the unbeliever. If you've never come to trust Christ, I, under, I, I just trust that today, tonight, on a Sunday evening, you would understand for the first time who Christ is as your Savior and would come to put your faith and trust in a living Christ that died, rose again, and is seated at the right hand of God. He's your Savior tonight. He could be. And for the believer, I trust that you experience this inexpressible joy. We spoke about uh, just this past Friday about how a believer understands God's closeness with him and sins forgiven and a home in heaven. Hard to identify that word cost today. We are inundated with churches. We're inundated with people holding Bibles, perhaps, going to church, steeples with crosses, sermons online like we have even this evening. We hardly pay attention to any of it all. We're, we're sort of callous to it. These individuals worshiping God in varying capacities, and we grow callous because we see it daily. But our minds find it very difficult to understand the cost that went behind paying for our sins once and forever. The cost that's behind the steeple that perhaps you see as you walk down the streets of wherever you live, the steeples on the churches and the cost that it took God to pay for sins once and forever. First Corinthians chapter six and verse 20 says this as Paul's writing, he says, you were bought or you were purchased with a price. And so this evening we're gonna speak about that word cost with God's help. When, when, when we're young and I'm a parent, I have just a few kids, actually four, uh, but we don't understand cost from both a large and small amount. To understand cost, you'd have to understand how much work or time it took to be able to purchase and get something. I was just with my son just this past weekend, and we drove through a dealership just to look at beautiful cars that I'll never afford in my life. 
And I let my son walk out of the dealership and he walked in front of a Bentley that was $270,000. And he said, dad, a Bentley, you should buy it. Well, here's the thing. Uh, he doesn't understand. I can never afford it. It will never happen as far as I'm concerned, as far as I know, on this side. Of, I can't afford those things. And so we don't understand what it costs, the work. God's salvation, listen, you can't afford God's salvation. Mankind cannot afford God's salvation. Dave mentioned these words. It is a free gift to the sinner because not a soul on our planet could ever afford it. Yes, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Not the wealth of the past, not the wealth of the present that we live in today, not the wealth of all the future. And if you combine that, could ever afford God's salvation. One might ask the question, what was the cost to God? It cost God when he gave his son for humanity to be born as God is watching from heaven, as Christ is born in such a humble circumstance. The king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, born where foxes have holes, the birds of the air, they have nests. But the son of man, Christ, doesn't have a place to lay his head. And God is watching. And it cost God something to save our souls. Cost God when he viewed his son for over 33 years or so interact with filthy sinners. It cost God. Some, some of these sinners that he interacted with would only one day cry out, crucify him. It cost God to save a soul. It cost God when he watched his son be led by the Holy Spirit in the desert to be tempted by the devil. Fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. There's not a father on this planet that would ever want to watch their son in a desert fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and going through the pains of hunger only to be tempted by the devil. But the God of heaven that we know today, he did that just for you. It cost God something. It cost God when God watched his son under the pressure of going to the cross and he sweat great drops of blood falling to the ground. It cost God something, friend. It's something you can't pay for. It's something I can't pay for. It's something the wealth of the world can't pay for when Jesus Christ paid for sins once and forever. And as he's there in a garden and he feels, Christ does, he feels the pressure of the punishment of sin, the pressure of the weight of sin that would crush his body on a cross. Doctors have mentioned that the word there, and I might perhaps mispronounce it, but it's hematoid hydrosis. It's where the capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands, they rupture. And it causes them to exude blood, occurring only under conditions of extreme physical or emotional stress. The late Leonardo da, Leonardo da Vinci described this uh, particular condition as a soldier sweating blood before a battle. The pressure's on. And it costs God something. It costs God something that you and I will never afford when his son went to a cross to pay for our sins. Christ knowing he's to bear the sins of the world under tremendous pressure. Brother Dave mentioned just this past week those words in Isaiah 53 and verse 4. He, Christ, bore our griefs and he carried our sorrows and he was under extreme pressure. He knew the lying that you would commit. He knew the cheating that man would commit and had committed. He knew the swearing. He knew the anger. He knew the covetousness. He knew the lust of man. He knew the perverseness of man. He knew the immorality of man. He knew the vanity of man. He knew your griefs. He knew your sorrows, but he bore them all. First Peter says, as Peter's reflecting on his conversion and reflecting on the moment he saw Christ on the cross, he says, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds, you were healed. It cost God something. When God, when when you think of the cost of God, when Christ came out of the garden and he watches as his disciples are sleeping and he says, couldn't you wait and watch with me for one hour as God is watching 
and the person of Christ, the sacrifice for humanity, is going in full obedience to the God of heaven to a rugged cross. Even his own disciples would forsake him. It cost God. When his son, uh, Christ, was betrayed with a kiss, it cost God. When Pilate asked that question, what do I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ, and God's watching, and angels that would have worshipped him in all of eternity and in time, as they're watching, the crowd screams out, crucify him. It cost God. Watching the whole time, the hymn writer penned those words, what was it, O our God? Led thee to give thy son, to yield thy well-beloved for us by sin undone. T'was love unbounded. Led thee thus to give thy well-beloved for us. But God commends, God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. I asked the question, did he die for you? The Bible teaches he did, but have you accepted that? God's grace is costly because it costs a man his life, but it's graceful in that it gives a man only true life, only eternal life founded solely through the person of Christ. God's grace costly because it condemns sin, but it's graceful because it justifies the sinner. God's grace costly because it costs God the life of his son. You were bought with a price, Paul says, but it's graceful and that God didn't reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our sin, but he delivered him up for us. Think of this great cost. And yet as humanity, we treat God as if we don't need him, need him or we, we look at his free gift and say, well, not tonight. I'll maybe get saved another time. God is calling tonight to come unto him. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2 says, Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. Showing us the depth of love. Christ loved and gave himself. Showing us the cost of his love. Christ gave his life. Showing us that it was for you. Notice these words. Christ loved us, personal, and gave himself for us. And showing us that the Father is pleased with the self-sacrificing love of his son, Christ. Christ's sacrifice was a fragrant aroma, the Bible teaches, to the God of heaven. God loves the Son's love of you and for me. One might say, well, of course God loves us. We're his friends. And the Bible teaches that in John chapter 15, greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Friends, yes. But I'll tell you this, if you're not saved, we're enemies of the cross. Sinners separated by a huge gulf because of our sin. And God gave his son for people who did not deserve his son. That's why Romans 5 says, for when we're yet without strength, in due time, perfect time, flawless time, God's timing, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. Some might have perhaps heard this story in the past, but Chuck Colson told the story of a group of American prisoners of war during the Second World War. They had hard labor in a prison camp. They were all given a shovel and they would dig all day and then they'd come in the evening and they'd stand before a guard to give an account of their tool, to give an account of the shovel that they had used during the day. One evening, 20 prisoners lined up and the guard started counting the shovels. The guard turned in a rage and he wanted to know why only 19 shovels were there instead of 20. He said, you tell me who the person is that did not bring his shovel back, but no one responded. The, gun took his gu the guard took his gun, and he said he'd, he'd shoot five men out of the 20 if the guilty prisoner did not step forward. After a moment of tense silence, there was a young 19-year-old soldier who's standing there. And as he's weighing his whole future, he's weighing in the balance, as it were, perhaps a future wife. He's weighing in the balance, perhaps, a future education, maybe a new vehicle, maybe a career, maybe children, maybe spending time fishing and hunting with his family. Whatever the case is, he's just looking at life. He's just a young man. That man, at 19, steps forward. And the guard grabbed him in rage. 
And he took him to the side as the other 19 uh, men that were working there, prisoners of war, they watched. And that guard executed that young 19-year-old man. And the guard came back and he warned the others and said, you better be more careful than that soldier was with his shovel. As the guard left, the men counted their shovels and realized there were only 20. And the guard had miscounted. That boy had given his life for his friends. John 15 and verse 13, greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. To love is to choose suffering for another. One reason the story hits us so hard is this boy was young. It would have been different if he was 90 perhaps or with not much left by it. But can I tell you this? Christ was young. It cost God something to redeem a soul. Christ at the age of 33, ministry having been only three years, he was young. From our human standpoint, his life was one that was needed by his earthly mother from our human standpoint. Jesus being the oldest of a widowed mom. No wonder in John chapter 19, it says, woman, behold your son. And then to the disciple, behold your mother. He was sinless and perfect. He was the most worthy of living. First Peter says he committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Yet the Bible teaches you and I that there's deceit. Our hearts are desperately wicked. Who can know, know them? Enemies found no guilt in them. Matthew 22 says, I find no guilt in Christ. He had a perfectly balanced life. Joy and sorrow. We've been speaking about these terms. Tenderness and toughness. Justice and mercy. This is the person of Christ. Grief and anger. Speech and silence. Prayer and action. The most valuable life to humanity. And yet, costly, he gave his life. He gave his life as the son of God. God and man. Human nature and divine nature in one. And with this life, Christ went to a cross just for you. This is how much it costs to cover our sins against the holiness of God. Supremely loved by his father. God says, this is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. It's imagine finding out later that this 19-year-old we just spoke about was the son of a president. Imagine finding out later that the story we just heard about a prisoner of war had the power to escape that death. But also the president's father of the boy approved of his dying for you. So not only was his father had power, but his father approved of his boy dying for you. And he wanted to meet you. All right. Do you understand where I'm going with this? And meet those that his son had died for and give those people the boy's inheritance. Can you imagine that? That's what God wants. He gave his son so you could accept the inheritance of eternal life. Christ left the glories of heaven and took on human nature. The incarnation as preparation, as nerve endings for the nails on the cross. He needed a human back for a place to be scourged. He needed a brow and a skull for a crown of thorns. He needed cheeks for Judas to kiss and soldiers to spit on. He needed hands and feet for spikes. He needed a side for a soldier's sword to pierce. He needed a brain. He needed a spinal cord. He needed nerve endings with no vinegar or gall so that he might feel, listen carefully, the entire excruciating death just for you. Notice when you look to a cross, listen to these words. It's not a wonder that Paul says in Galatians 2 and 20, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself entirely up for me. At the cross, you see three people. The first cross is a man who's dying in his sins. We call that man Mr. Skeptic, perhaps. He says, if you're the Messiah, show us. The second cross, you see a man dying to sin. Here's the man who has faith. He says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Christ, represented on the third cross as the Savior, is dying for sins. And he tells the man who's dying to sin, today, you'll be with me in paradise. What a beautiful story. This is a story that could be your story today. I'm going to close with the story of a cost of salvation. There was a 14-year-old girl by the name of Laura Montero. She's out vacationing on a cruise ship off the Baja coast, and she her appendix burst, and she was in a life-threatening situation. But she's hundreds of, mile, hundreds of miles from home. 
or hundreds of miles from help, rather. The USS Ronald Reagan, which was 500 miles away from Laura, in the middle of training exercises with 6,000 crew members, got the call that there was a young girl in distress and she was dying in the middle of the ocean. They stopped their training exercises. They turned their ship and steamed 250 miles through the night to get within helicopter range to dispatch a helicopter and to save this young girl's life. Laura was airlifted and the doctors performed life-saving surgery right in the middle of the helicopter in the middle of the ocean. Costs, you say? Do you know that it costs that ship $2.5 million a day to reach Laura? How will the family ever pay it, you ask? Well, I'll tell you this, they never will. They can't afford it. The U.S. government believed that this girl was worth saving, so they gave her a free gift of life. You know that God gives us a free gift of life. God paid everything. Friend, we could preach for the rest of our lifetime about what it costs God to give his only son, but God showed us, as Jesus told Nicodemus, Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Let's pray together. I trust that you understand who Christ is today as your savior, the one who paid the price for your sins once and forever. Let's pray together.